If you were given 24 hours to live, what would you do? Where would you go? <laughs> Maybe who would you see? Maybe even what would you eat? <laughs> what would you say to the people that you wanted to see in those last 24 hours? It's an interesting mental exercise that we do on ourselves every now and then. Nah, I don't like any of that. Let's try it again. <clears throat> if you were given 24 hours to live, what would you do? Where would you go? <laughs> what would you eat? <laughs> Maybe who would you see? And what would you say to those people? It's an interesting mental exercise that we play with every now and then. We, we can ask questions like that. It reveals our priorities. It, it reveals our heart. It tells us a lot about ourselves. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you pray about in those 24 hours? Would you pray for a, well, would you pray for an easy death? Would you pray for a pain-free death? Would you pray for a death where you would be surrounded by your loved ones, that they would be there for you in your, in your hour of greatest need? What would you pray about? Would you pray for those you love? Would you pray that they would be cared for, that they would be blessed as you left them behind? Would you pray that their faith would grow? We're in John chapter 17. It's Jesus's prayer that he prays with, well, less than 24 hours to live. And as he prays, he, he prays for us. He does not pray for a, an easy death. He does not pray for a pain-free death. And as he will be abandoned on the cross, he is not praying that he would be surrounded by his loved ones. So as he prays, we ask the question, what's most important on Jesus's heart in this prayer. <laughs> what does he pray for us? What does he see as most important for us? Does he pray that every church would be a mega church and have a, a great, wonderful online worship? Does he pray that, well, does he pray that we'd get our parking lot paved finally? Does he pray that we would have an amazing youth program? <sighs> no, Jesus prays for us. He prays that we would be united. He prays that you and I would be one. He prays that we would be together. And if that's, if that's Jesus's prayer for us in his final hours on his last night on earth, then isn't that kind of unity worthy of our attention? Shouldn't unity be our, unity be our first priority with each other? The way that we bless one another, the way we love one another. We're looking at the final section of Jesus's prayer today. It's in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. All through the prayer, he's been praying for his church. But here, he's praying for you and me specifically. He's praying for us very specifically. I want you to hear what he prays. You notice it beginning there in verse 20. He prays to the Father, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples that he had then and there. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
He's not praying for the disciples that are alive at that time. He's not praying for those who saw Jesus with their own eyes, heard Him with their own ears, or even were healed by His very touch. He's praying for those who will believe because somebody told them about Jesus the way you and I came to believe. We pick up the prayer in John chapter 17. There again, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Those who will believe in me through their word. I want you to hear that because your words have power. Our words have power. Your words impact other people, not not just impact them here and now. Your words don't just change how they feel and what they think today. Your words have power to impact people for eternity. Your words can change the final destination of someone's life. And it's not just about the words we say. It's about the words that we stand on. It's about the words that we live by, the words that bind us together and make us one, the words that we stand on together as a church. There are so many things in this world that seek to pull us apart. And we would have to confess that there are things within ourselves that very often seek to pull us apart as well. We have our differences. We occasionally bump our heads together. But what holds us together? Well, we find that in this prayer from Jesus, a prayer that he prayed that he might be glorified in us, that he might be glorified in our love. Our unity should show our world Jesus's love. As he prays for our unity, it's important for us to know what kind of unity he's praying about. It's not the kind of unity where you and I are, well, that where we're all the same, where we look the same, we act the same, and we all sound the same. It's not the kind of unity where we all agree with each other. Rather, he's calling us to a relational unity, a relational unity where we work together. It's important that we get this. Unity is not uniformity. 
Okay, unity is not uniformity where we all look and act and sound and talk the same. Jesus isn't hitting us all with a holy cookie cutter, making us all look the same, just stamping us out one after another. That's not what unity is in Jesus's prayer. The unity he's praying for is the harmony that we would have as we work together, relating to each other and allowing allowing our differences to build something greater than we could ever build on our own, greater than we could ever have just as individuals. And again, the unity is not based on, it's not based on how good of a job we do of getting along with each other. Our unity is based on Jesus's relationship with his Father. I want you to hear him again in verse 21. He says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Now, most of us are probably aware of a doctrine called the Trinity. I, I would imagine that you are at least somewhat familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity. Have you heard of it? Do you understand it? Probably not. The Trinity is kind of a mystery. The Trinity has to do with the, the eternal nature of God. And you and I, with our tiny little finite minds, we can only begin to scratch the surface of that doctrine. But we understand within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each of them equal, co-equal, and yet each of them distinct, sharing one nature and yet having very different roles. And then we remember... You and I were created in the image of God. And so we ought to see something of that unity among ourselves, and we ought to see something of that distinction within ourselves as well. In other words, we don't all do the same thing. I mean, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we're not all up here trying to preach at the same time? Aren't you all glad that, that we're not all trying to play the piano like our friend Donna or the organ like our friend Shirley does? We're not all doing that. And Paul says the very same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, he says of the church, and he speaks of the physical body. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot... <laughs> If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. I can't think of that scripture without thinking of my son, Connor. Connor's got some, well, he's got some special needs. And, and honestly, Connor's got some special talents. Connor, Connor can be lazy at times. Connor also can be a little clumsy. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen Connor drop a chicken nugget on the floor and instead of bending over to pick it up he reaches down and he wraps his toes around that chicken nugget and he lifts it up and I'm gonna let you finish I'm gonna let you figure out what Connor does with the chicken nugget after he picks it up with his toes now we understand that's that's not ideal, right? That's not what a foot is for. That's what a hand is for. That's not ideal. And we understand that's not ideal for us either. Rather, we recognize that we have differences, that we have different ways that we serve and different ways that we work together. That's what relational unity is like. We're all different, but we're all working towards the same goal. Paul goes on there in 1 Corinthians 12, and he writes in verses 18 through 20, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, 
There are many parts, yet one body. A big part of unity, as Jesus prays about it here, is recognizing, acknowledging that we have our differences and working together with those differences. Sometimes, sometimes despite those differences. And sometimes realizing that it is our very differences that end up blessing us all the more. But always, always with the goal that Jesus would be seen through our differences, that we would have unity because that's how he called us to work together. Our unity is relational. But there's another call in Jesus' prayer that we can't miss. Jesus calls us not just to relational unity, he calls us to visible unity. Visible unity, that the world may know that we are one. We need unity to work together it's, as a church. It's necessary, but that's not the point. Our unity is not just about our efficiency as we work together. Our unity is not just about our effectiveness. There's a bigger purpose to our unity. And that purpose is seen, uh, is seen in us, uh, by the, that unity is seen by those around us. Paul goes, in, or excuse me, Jesus goes into that in verse 21. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you hear it? In fact, it's so important that Jesus prays it twice. You go on to verse 23 and he says, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our unity tells our world, the people around us, that we have something worth believing in. It needs to be visible unity. You see, the, the greatest witness that you and I have to our community is not some program that we can launch in our church. Our greatest witness is not anything that we can do. It's who we are. It's how we work together. It's in the way that we care for each other despite our differences. In fact, I think it's great if our community sees our differences. If our community knows that we don't all like the same things, we don't all do the same things, we don't all feel the same way about some opinions, and maybe even we don't all vote the same way. And then somehow, somehow our community sees that somehow we end up loving each other anyway. We continue to love each other. I think that makes people in our community feel more welcome when they come here. It makes them feel like there's a place for them, like they belong also. And I'll tell you this, if they don't know us by our unity, they will know us by our disunity. If they don't know, to, if they don't know us by the way we get along, they'll know us by the way that we don't get along with each other. Many years ago, my wife Trish and I were involved in a church they had a lot of problems. Things didn't go well in that church. And after five long years, they asked me if I would leave. And I remember the day after that happened, I was talking to a man who lived in that community, a man who had lived there his whole life, who had seen everything that happened in that community and in that church. And I told him what had happened, that I would be leaving. 
And he shook his head, and he said, they always do that. I've seen him do it over and over again. He said, they always do that, and they never realize that they are the problem. That's what that church had become known for in that community. They didn't see it with me. They didn't see it with the next guy either. They didn't see it with the guy after that. They didn't see it, well, you, you get the idea. Hear Jesus' words again. Hear what he says in verse 21. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Listen to what he says again in verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Hear that. Hear, how ju hear just how imperative that is. That the way that you and I relate to each other, it changes what our world believes about Jesus and it changes what our world believes about His church. It changes what our community, the people around us, our neighbors, our friends, it changes what they believe about the church. If you've been listening, there's people saying a whole lot of horrible things about the church these days, and in some cases, they've got reasons to say horrible things. There's a lot of people saying some very horrible things these days. We can't fix that by yelling louder. We can't fix that by trying to shout them down. We can only fix that by loving each other. We can only fix that by loving one another more deeply. And that's exactly what Jesus prays for here in this prayer. For you and me, in, our, in His final hours, He prays for us to, to love one another. He prays that we would have a unity that can only be called love. There are different things that we could call unity, different things that we could say, well, that's unity or this is unity. We could talk about having unity in spite of ourselves, in spite of our differences. We could talk about having unity for the sake of others, that we're going to stick together for the sake of, of other people. We'll put up with each other for the greater good. And those are, those are easy. Those are also temporary. Jesus is calling us to something that's going to be lasting. In fact, something that will see us through this world, something that will see us into eternity. The unity that He calls us to, it can only be called love. Look at verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This has been Jesus's message all along. This has been what John has focused on through the whole story. Back in uh, chapter 13, earlier that night, the same night, back in chapter 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You may have heard that story before. He washed his disciples' feet. Do you remember the lesson from that story? John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he said, By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a love that realizes that no one has ever loved us like Jesus. And if anyone is going to know his love, 
they're going to have to know it through us and through the way we love them and through the way we love each other. That kind of love is sacrificial. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that lays down our preferences for the sake of others. In fact, again, that same night, John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said to his disciples, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. It's easy for us to read that, to hear that, and think about the cross, laying his life down for his friends. But the cross hadn't occurred yet. It hadn't happened yet. I think that verse is more about, and that love is more about the way that we treat each other every day. How we say, for the sake of love, I'm not going to seek to have it my way. For the sake of love, I'm not always going to seek my way first. For the sake of Jesus' love, I won't fight for my preferences or about my offenses, and I'm not going to allow them to keep me from loving you. For the sake of Jesus' love, you and I are going to work together. We are going to be one so that the world may know, so that the world may believe in Him. You know, every week we've been asking people to take one of these stones from our entry area and write something on the stone. It's stones of remembrance is what we're calling them. And we're asking people to write some lesson that they learned in 2020 or a blessing they received, something God gave them in a year that took so much away from us. I think one of our younger people wrote on this stone, the lesson they learned over 2020, to be tougher and to love more. Isn't that great? To be tougher and to love more. You know what? That kind of love requires us to be tougher. That kind of love requires us to give more. You know, I, I don't like the way my son eats with his feet, <laughs> but it doesn't cause me to love him any less. In fact, if anything, I might love him even more. I know it does cause me to wash his feet more often, could that be the lesson that Jesus is teaching us and how he loves us, how he calls us to wash each other's feet, how he calls us to love even with our failings, how he loves us with our failings, even with our sins, and how he calls us to wash each other's feet? John records this prayer in chapter 17 as Jesus' final prayer before his crucifixion. This is it. We don't have any other prayers in the Gospel of John. This is Jesus' final prayer before his crucifixion. And then a few chapters later, John records Jesus' final words on the cross. And he records those words as, it is finished. And whatever else those words might mean, I have to take it to mean that he has no more prayers. He has no other prayers for us. He doesn't come up later with a different prayer for you and me, something else, something better, or, or just something different, something that's going to be easier for us to do. His last prayer for you and me is that we would have unity, that we would love one another even when we are hard to love, <sighs> and that our world would see that love, and that our world would know that Jesus promises something better, that our unity would show the world Jesus' love. If that was worth him 
praying for, then isn't it worth us living for? Isn't it worth laying down those issues and those opinions that we have that divide us and instead seeking His love together? I'll admit it, some of those opinions that we hold are very dear to us. We are very invested in some of our opinions. They're dear to our hearts. But none of them, none of those opinions died for us. None of those opinions that we have died for us. None of them showed us how to love each other. What will it take? What will it take for you and me to give ourselves to Jesus's prayer? What will it take for us to answer his prayer for him? I warn you, it's, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost you. It's, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost us our pride. It's going to cost us our preferences. But it promises so much more, not just for us, but there's promises for the people around us. I think it's worth it. Jesus prayed that we would see that it's worth it, that the world around us, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your community, that they would see something different and that they would believe in him. What did John 3.16 teach us again? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. John 17 tells us if they're going to believe, it's going to be because of the love that they've seen from us. Let's show the world that truth in how we love each other and in how we love them. Let's take a moment and pray. Let's take the Lord's Supper together. Father, in, in this memorial that we have of communion, you showed us the full extent of your love. You showed us what you were willing to lay down so that we might know your love. Lord, if you were willing to lay down your Son, then laying down our opinions, our preferences, laying down the things that we prefer, and seeking unity with one another is not too much to ask. And so as we take today, I ask that we would remember the body. Remember the sacrifice of your son. And remember the hearts of those around us that we have been called to love. And let's love them just as you have loved us. Bless this bread that reminds us of his body. Bless this cup that reminds us of his blood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless and go in peace.